Welcome, everybody, to the July 2013 podcast from MikeGarrigan.com. My name is Mike Garrigan. I'll be your host today, and joining me is a special guest. His name is Kyle Hanlon. Say hello, Kyle. Hello, everybody. And uh, glad to have you on the show. Murray, of course, is uh, on vacation this month, so <laughs> he won't be joining us today. He might call I in later. I imagine where Murray might be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was a good good. Uh, Good observation there. Anyway, um, so Kyle, tell everybody uh, where you're calling from. I'm calling from Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And how do we know each other? Uh, Mike, you and I I go way back uh, to college. I believe we met in August of 1995, officially. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, uh, I knew of your music a bit, having uh, seen you win the 1993 Catholic Youth Convention talent. (laughs) That was epic. Playing a rousing rendition of Stephen Fell Asunder. Yeah, yeah. And I remember Donna Gregory being one of the judges who oh, uh, yeah. the final prize. Yeah, that was um, that was quite a, an awesome thing. I remember just playing that song for the first time. It was one of the first times I played original my own original music in the crowd and, and have that kind of reception. So I'm glad you could have been a part of it. You know. Oh yeah, uh, I was I was at the back of the gym there, uh, and I was pretty impressed by what was happening. Cool. And then uh, we eventually hooked up in college when you came to Carolina, and, and we became good friends. And um, and then after you got out of college, you you hit the road with uh, Collapses. That's true. Uh, yeah, that was actually um, my first full time job was as uh, Collapses' road manager, sound engineer, website guy, merchandise guy, all of the stuff that I uh, needed to get done. I did it, and if I couldn't do it, then you did it. Yeah, I was. Um, it was quite the uh, the undertaking, you know. You t- spent a year of your life or more more on the on the road with us, and um, all of that jazz is is pretty interesting. So, uh, big news just came out this um, this month, a couple weeks ago. Collapsus is reuniting for a show. How do you feel about that? I'm I'm as excited, I think, probably as anybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, you guys are all uh, professional musicians, or if not professional musicians, at least talented enough to be able to jump back in and, and do this um, and, and I'm sure put on a great show. I don't know that uh, 12, 13 years away from the soundboard is going to do <laughs> me any favor, so I probably need to yield to whoever is the house guy. But uh, I plan to be there uh, for uh, for whatever does transpire, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it'll be good. I mean, we got together, um, gosh, it wasn't, I guess last Saturday we got together and, and ran through the set we're planning on doing, and it was good. It was sort of like... You know, Chris said it's all about muscle memory. We've done it so many times; it really wasn't awful. I mean, we could we could have gotten up that night and done it if we wanted. Yeah. To. Well, and that's yeah. really cool to hear. It's glad. It's really good to hear. And that's kind of what I was saying a second mm-hmm. ago about you know, you guys, you still play the guitar, you still know your songs. You know, you can you can jump back in and do that stuff. But I think changes in technology with sound equipment, and all that stuff, I would be lost if you threw me behind the soundboard right now. Whereas I don't think that they've added any strings to the guitar in the last 13, 14 years. No. So he's probably still pretty good. And I think, too, for me, just looking back, you know, when Collapsus was at um, its height, I was 25 years old. And I don't think anyone really has an understanding of who they are or what they can do at that age. Uh, and I feel like now I personally am, am more self-actualized and know my limitations and, and what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. And uh, 
I think just knowing that and everyone having a little more age on them is actually going to make the show better, you know, than, um, not saying it'd be better than, than some of the five points gigs that were, <laughs> where people were hanging from the rafters, but I, I do think it's going to be a good show. We're, we're well, I think maturity it. really lends itself to, you know, I think you just kind of focus a lot more on what you're doing and taking pride in everything mm-hmm. that you do. And, uh, you know, I think you can all, most of us can look back on maybe college and say, I would have done this different or that different if I had been a bit more mature. And, and, and now I think with, you know, these shows, I think I get what you're saying as far as, uh, you know, this could be a really, really good special thing because everybody's kind of in a different place. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean a better place, but that maturity and stuff, like you said, you were 25 years old and, you know, not that you didn't know what you were doing, you were certainly already accomplished as a musician, but as far as a lot of aspects of things, you know, there was a lot to be learned. And yeah. uh, for myself, for you, the other guys, I'm sure, too. And, you know, I think being able to go into this probably is just a fun thing. I think you guys are going to have a blast. I think yeah. the show come off really well. And I'm I'm just pumped up to just even stand in the crowd and, and look on, uh, maybe help Carlos set up his drum kit another time. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be fun. And, uh, again, that show is December 7th. It's quite a ways away, but it will be here. Before any of us know it, uh, December 7th at Deep South, the bar in Raleigh. Uh, doors are at 9 o'clock. We haven't announced the openers yet. We're still going to figure that out. It's going to be somebody pretty exciting that mean a lot to all of us. But uh, tickets are 15 in advance, 20 day of, and uh, you can get them now at deepsouththebar.com. So, uh, well, thanks for being on the show, and uh, we have a couple things we're going to do today. Um, really, the point of this podcast series was to sort of talk about some of my new material as, as I'm making a new record. and. Um, we're going to play some music, play three songs and, um, get your feedback and, and, and see what you think about this project, um, as it's taking shape. So why don't we listen to the first song and, um, this is called Money is Water. Fill me up Dreaming of a poison cup A sucker punch to light the way Can't do without it, not today Morning is water, is freezing And I can't stop the fingers Hard to pass, lose a form that never lasts. Keeps me up all through the night, and it's flowing hard from dark to light. Money is water, is freezing, and I can't stop my fingers from twitching. Stop the rainbow. Ah, 
freezing Can't stop my fingers from twitching Money is water and ending I can't stop the rainbow so knowing what you know about the other three season records, there was Lessons of Autumn, The Promise of Summer, and recently The Return of Spring, what do you think I should be thinking of as the sound of this forthcoming record? And what are your expectations as someone who likes my music and has listened to it for a while? Yeah, I mean, this song, you know, I think it, I mean, it bears some resemblance to some of the other songs in those in those previous records. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, November came to mind. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a kind of a slower, kind of a real heartfelt, you know, finger picking type of song. And um, you know, I, I really, really, really like this tune. And um, I, you know, I think a lot of the questions I've had when listening to these demos, uh, it's not specific to this particular song, but you know is this kind of your, your vision for what the songs will sound like, or will, will there be some that are more uh, produced Will there, will there be a band on some? Uh, and, and I don't know if you've answered some of these questions in other podcasts, but um, you know, this, this song isn't particularly one of those that I'd have that question about, but there are a few that I've listened to on the demos that I've had that question. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird position I'm in because you know, what I've found is that most of the people who listen to my stuff, listen to my music because of Dirty Wake and Collapses. And that is a rock band uh, that does kind of acoustically written songs, basically. And so the other part of it is, as an artist, there's this vision I have to err on the side of being sparse. So I'm trying to figure out, do I go uh, sparse and just acoustic, or do I make it sort of like friendly to a Collapses record? Um you know, and I, far from me to make any like recommendations, but you know, I, I do. I always have enjoyed what you've done in a band setting uh, a lot. You know, and um, you know, I think that kind of harkens back to you and I going back a long ways. And you know, I, I was at a Wilt show one time. I was at a lot of collapse <laughs> shows and a lot of kickball shows, and and they were loud at times. And and but they still took those songs, which I know that you wrote. Uh, a lot of them in a dorm room or in whatever apartment you were living in on a four track and, and they were acoustic songs and they became band songs. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's kind of what I, I always, I like to see that evolution of a song, mm-hmm. but I also still definitely appreciate uh stripped down versions of songs going back to building a hole and, and just the rawness and acousticness of that record. And, and it, it still rocks. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, it's a matter of, are you, are, are you hoping someone's ever going to play this on the radio or at a party or someone's going to cover it one day? You know, what's, what's the end goal? Yeah. Uh, and the end goal, I think for you at this point is probably the piece of art itself. Yeah. But you know, I think that temptation certainly should be there for you. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, and what I've decided to do is just sort of let the song speak to me and, and let them be what they're going to be. Um, it's weird. The, the big instrument that I've been using on these recordings is the Mellotron which has made started making its appearance on like um 
the song A Better Place on Promise of Summer. It's the fluty type stuff. And I wanted to use it on Dirty Wake, but we just couldn't find one. It was back then, it was before samplers were being used. Um, and so the record's kind of taken on a retro vibe, but it's still acoustic based and it rocks a little bit. So, <laughs> so it's sort of. I've just heard I've heard a lot of elements of all of the records uh, in these demos, and that's it's really cool for me mm-hmm. because uh, you know I I can point to the song we just listened to, "Money Is Water," and say you know hey, it kind of reminds me of November a little bit. It's, you know, far from the same song, obviously, but you know, it kind of has the vibe. But and then I, I think we're going to uh, discuss another song here in a minute that you know <laughs> re- remind me of uh, uh, some of the other stuff that yeah. you've done. Yeah. yeah. Well, why don't we get into the next song? And, and um, I want to preface this next one as saying that, you know, part of the process for writing for Winter was a no holds barred look at, at whatever came to mind. And I know uh, you got me into listening to a lot of those mono Dylan reissues. So uh, I naturally felt, um, I don't know, inclined to pick up a harmonica. So, um, and just sort of write what came to mind. And this is sort of a non-lyrical. It repeats the same thing over and over and over again. Um, so when we, when we listen to it, this song is um, called Conservative Blues. I got 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 conservative blues. that was conservative blues and um you know and all these records i've done there's always been sort of like a trouble in the barnyard or an alphabet people type song that sort of gets a little silly and um i think that's why i kind of let this one into the floodgates to be considered i don't think it'll get um cut even for the record but at the same time you know part of this podcast series was to explore and share exactly all the stuff that gets cut or thrown out or considered too so um what's your take on that track well i mean i certainly think um <laughs> i could see it's a departure for you but i think that's good yeah and I, I like to see you having fun with uh still making music and and um you know you spend a lot of time really looking inside yourself and inside a lot of works of art and things like that for some pretty hefty heavy uh themed stuff and you know just to i think take step back maybe and you know have a little fun with the song 
like you said a minute ago, break out the harmonica uh, for maybe one of the first times in your recording career. Yeah. Um, you know, that's it had to have been fun for you. And, you know, who knows? Maybe this is something that, uh, you know, two years from now you say, hey, I want to record a couple more uh, kind of blues, upbeat riff songs and, you know, uh, and have some fun with things. And you were mentioning Bob Dylan earlier and, you know, what what a fun time he must have had writing his four thousand million songs uh especially there in the early days when he would do talking about something blues and yeah exactly you know, 50 <laughs> versions of it so um you know that that's it's fun music it, it can it can still be poignant and uh you know i, I think pretty fun little tune there even if it does end up cutting room floor what is the song dylan wrote of the talking talking bear mountain picnic massacre blues <laughs> It's the best one ever. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's <laughs> one of the funniest things you'll ever hear. I know. Uh, I know. Um, if you I, don't have the bootleg series volumes one through three, go get it. Why do you think he, he kept some of his best stuff off record? Uh, it, back then, especially in those early years, you know, he probably wasn't picking too many of the songs that went on yeah. his records. Producers and, and, and people at Columbia probably had a lot of say. But, uh, you know, at the same time, just the sheer quantity of how much he recorded, how do you put all that out? You know, yeah. he was putting out two records a year as it was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, something's got to end up on the cutting room floor. So in the in the 90s and 2000s, you can release bootleg <laughs> box sets. It's amazing when you hear freewheeling and you go, there's there's no way he's got anything better. Then you listen to the bootleg series and you go, oh, my gosh, he was sitting on all this like gold. You know? Yeah. And then there, there are other artists that kind of can do the same thing. I think Springsteen recently has reached back in his, uh, you know, on the shelf and, and grabbed some things that are pretty great. Uh, the Promise box set that came out uh, surrounding Darkness on the Edge of Town's anniversary. And I think that was, you know, there are some really good cutting room yeah. tracks there. And, uh, you know, but Dylan's the, the king of them all when it comes to that stuff. He's just got it uh, in abundance and, you know, they'll probably keep putting him out years and years after he passes. Yeah. And, um, I think the same can be said with some of the, you know, Dylan and Springsteen are, are, I guess you call them legacy acts at this point, you know, but, um, even Pearl jam, you know, a, a more modern, but still a more recent addition to the legacy status band. They, they have lots of stuff in their um, back catalog, like the lost dogs, um, collection that came out is just amazing, you know, and, yeah, as a Pearl Jam enthusiast for 20-plus years now, I, I thought I had everything. I really did. I'd gone out of my way to download and to mail, you know, back before the Internet, mailing around to get tapes, and mm-hmm. you get this demo and you hear this demo, and then they come out with all this stuff um, looking back, and, and there's a whole bunch of tracks you never even heard. So I would yeah. imagine probably be hearing a lot more from those guys over the years too. Did you have the acoustic version of Hold On that was attached no. to the um – the recent reissue of Verses and Vitalogy? No, I, I didn't. Uh, you know, that was one that I was just speaking of. You know, it was just yeah. to think that that track was just sitting out there and more or less not heard. It's just like, oh my good God, what else is out there? But, um, you know, it, it's it's not a lot of bands that can really do that or artists that can do that. And yeah. Dylan's certainly one of them. Uh, you know, again, a, a more modern type of person, Ryan Adams, has, has done a lot of that. Um, you know, you hear about unreleased albums and that's not something a lot of people do anymore. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you with your own studio and, 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 uh, you know, your, uh, prolific nature probably have, uh, I know you have a lot of stuff that's unreleased and probably a lot of these tracks for the winter record you're talking about will end up unreleased. So 
maybe we're looking at a box that one day in another 90 years when you're no longer with us. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, what I was thinking of doing was, you know, whittling these down to um, 11 songs, you know, to make them fit with the other season records. And then from there, you know, whatever happens with the other ones, it happens. You know, it could be a, a fan club uh, only release or, or something, but we'll figure something out for them. Yeah. Nightmares didn't see the light of day for how long? 14 years. Yeah, I mean, that was a, <laughs> that was one I don't know I was always banging the drum for. What was weird is like, well, this is clearly going to go on, on the next record and it just kept getting moved. I mean, it got left off of Dirty Wake. It got left off of Summer. It got left off of the MG4 project, Malamander, and then Spring finally. And it's just like, dang, that was a long time. It should have, it, it could have been on building a hole, but wasn't. You know. Yeah, I mean, and I look back. Even uh, this is going back a long time now. But some of the songs that didn't make it to to lessons, uh, you know, I mean, one in particular, I think you wrote automatic right around that time, yeah. and you know, it probably just didn't fit the project. But uh, you know, I remember uh, you handed me a tape of demos probably sometime in '96 or '97, and it had uh, automatic on it, and and I said, man, that's that's a song right there, <laughs> and. And, and and I'm I'm glad that one eventually made you millions and millions of pennies. Yeah, well, maybe yeah. Um, <laughs> millions of of tenths of pennies. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of like that scheme they had in Office Space, where you just take yeah. fractions of a penny. Yeah, but I tell you, there's nothing like playing automatic in a club full of people who are waiting to hear it, though. And and uh, that's all because people like you listen to the songs and encourage me. So thank you so much for being a part of that. Um, but uh, why don't we get into the third song, and um, and this one is called Silver Screen, and uh, it, right now it's it's going to probably be the last song on Winter, and it might not be too different from what we're going to hear, so um, let's check it out. This is Silver Screen. Just along a beam A cloth to wash my dreams Failing at the seams I'm finally standing still Still the silver screen 
just show Finally standing still Finally letting go I'm finally standing still The silver screen Was just a show the ways that I started writing this project was I went into, um, I wrote down all the titles for The Promise of Summer, and then I thought of the first thing that came to mind as being the opposite of those titles, and then flipped them around so it was in reverse, and um, the opposite of Rusted Radio was, I don't know, this was just a, a brainstorm, came it to be this thing called The Silver Screen, and so I went in and I used that as this idea to... Um, just be the opposite of that song, and that's where this one came from. It came out pretty cool, and um, I did the same with a couple others, but what do you think about the idea of of crafting and uh, sort of deliberately installing resonance in these four records? Yeah, well, I think it's it's really interesting, and, and no, no small feat, I'm sure, mm-hmm. to try to pull off, you know, because I, I know you have always wanted these records to have a... Uh, connectivity to each other and, 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 and have some sort of, um, you know, meaning between them. And the, the thing for this song, and you just told me this before you played it, uh, was that you're thinking of this for the last song on the record. And, and, and the lyrics to me really lend itself, uh, just knowing you personally lend itself to, to a completion of this, uh, long journey yeah. because looking back on, uh, who you were and where you were when you were writing and uh, recording the lessons of autumn, um, you know, this really kind of, if, if you were a character, for instance, the, the yeah. character arc, this really does, um, audio-wise, uh, you know, orally, I guess, um, provide a, a sense of closure, a sense of, uh, you know, an arc being maybe not completed, but at least being at a different point. Uh, and, and I really like that. as a, I hadn't even considered that when I was listening to the demos. But um, it's definitely a beautiful song, and, and I, I like uh I like the idea of it being the final uh, yeah. track on the record. I think it will be, and, and it's going to get cut. I think next month. I'm 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 down to uh, six have been cut already, and, and I'm working on the next three. And so this will be in the um, ten through twelve slot, and there's going to be fifteen totally cut. And um, but I'm excited about. It. I think I'm, I'm going to leave it pretty much like that with some you know embellishments to the sound spectrum, like adding some bass so it sounds fuller. And maybe some harmonies and some uh, supporting instruments, but I want to keep the spirit of that demo pretty much intact. I think. Yeah, and it reminds me, uh, you know, the vocal treatments that you have on at least this demo 
um, a bit of gravity affects me, which I know is not yeah. part of the series, but, uh, um, at the same time was a really, uh, you know, really deep song, a really emotional song. I think you kind of saying that one from the gut, yeah. uh, or less, and that's where this one seems to come from. And, 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 and if it is, it does in fact end up being the final, uh, song on the record, you know, I could see it being a, Maybe not even uh, directly with Rusted Radio, but also with Birthday Song being kind of a uh, a bookend with that yeah. song. So um, you know that's <laughs> it's 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 a pretty long journey that you know these records have taken you down, and, and those of us who have listened to and enjoyed them. And you know, I, I I really do think that that you know when you said that, I was like, man, that that really is a good final tune. Yeah, I think it is. It's in the same key as Static too. So if you're if you're coming out of that record and you're going to go into spring all of a sudden it, it's sort of a a scene change but the key is familiar so it's kind of cool that way but then lyrically it, it harkens to birthday song and and to uh rusted radio too so um you know resonance is, is the theme of the show which we really didn't talk much <laughs> much about that today but <laughs> but um we sure checked to discuss some collapses stuff. oh we sure did resonance and collapses <laughs> reunion <laughs> um so, uh, anything else you want to add uh, to to these songs, or just um, this idea of the echoes of winter in general, um, that you think people who listen to my music might want to know, or, or want want to know your opinion on? Yeah, uh, for me, again, you know, as I was listening to the demos, you know, more collectively than just these couple of songs, um, I kept thinking, you know, there are really some good opportunities to, to have some band songs in here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I guess you, you and I already briefly t- touched on that. How do you really determine, I'm not going to say you can make any song into a, a full band song, but a lot of songs you can find a way to, to, you know, add drums, add bass, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe rock up the sound a bit. How do you really determine which tracks to, to take and make that bigger sound? Because all of them start out in a similar place with you and an acoustic guitar. What I've been doing, I, I've been doing this since Malamander, is I, I actually handwrite the charts out in sheet music form, and I sort of consider and play with, okay, what would it sound like if I added a drum pattern to this? And it's all sort of on, on paper, and I imagine it that way. But, you know, the, the problem with with my options is I have too many and um, I, I really do need to scale it down and, and sort of put some parentheses on, on the process. If I don't, I'll be, gosh, I'm going to try this drum loop or this kick drum or, or this guitar sound and then abandon it, you know? So um, charting it is really helpful. And, and sometimes I'll say, okay, on this grouping of songs, no drums, only tambourine and bass or something. So yeah. um, that, that's one way to do it. Well, I mean, and since Lessons of Autumn, you've done some really cool things with a, a, a more minimal uh, sonic landscape, I guess. You know, I, I remember after uh, you had kind of a a rough but final mix of October from, from Lessons, and you told me there was no bass track. And I said, what, what, what are you talking about? You don't even, you don't even realize it. Yeah. <laughs> um, because if you can fill up that space with enough... Uh, other goodness, I guess, is the only way I know how to describe it. But, uh, you know, I have full faith, obviously, that you're going to do the right things by the songs. I just hope that you're able to, uh, you know, maybe take advantage of some of these that are, uh, you know, I don't like to use the word catchy, but they're damn good 
you know, songs that I think people can enjoy yeah. listen, listening to uh, with other people or riding around in their car, you know. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't think that uh, you need to shy away from that because I think that's always been a strong suit of yours. Yeah, well, thank you. And, um, yeah, man, I remember when we had that demo or the rough mix of October, and we were we ran out to the FNN 4400, your car. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> We were on my old our, license plate number. Don't look me up now. We were on our way to to see Athenaeum at Ziggy's, I think, and we we popped it in. Like this is the greatest thing ever, and, and um, we I, I we were all excited. I know I was re- probably the most excited, but um, that was a good moment in in recording. History. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just remember you coming over to the house I was living in at the time after having recorded some of those songs, and just how passionate and fired up you were about the whole project. You know yeah. that. That even just be, being the guy who got to hear the demo at the end of the day, or the you know the the track at the end of the day, I was just like, man, the, the coolest part about that whole thing was being around you when the whole process was taking place, and mm-hmm. and and your fire and enthusiasm for it, and, and I think you still have that. If it might be in a different form now, but you know, you're still really passionate about this project, and that's really cool to cool to see. Yeah, and I think for me, if if something is going to get released, I do have to be moved by it at some point, either laugh or cry or, or feel like, damn, that's pretty good, you know. And so, um, I kind of I try to hold on to that. But there's nothing like your first really good recording. Um, so, um, but I have w- one more question for you today, and this is something a little bit um, more of a general question about the state of the music business and the state of how we consume things uh, as as music fans. Uh, this past show I did in Durham um, at the Broad Street Cafe, I was playing, and after the gig, a woman came up to me and asked me, uh, are you on iTunes? And I said, yes, I am on iTunes. And then she looked me up, and she pressed a couple things on her phone. She said, I just bought your entire catalog. Thank you. And then walked away. Do you think something like that is indicative of the fact that the the, the compact disc is really... Uh, reaching its its uh, its endpoint as as a way that we consume music because I'm starting to think that printing music on CD is almost becoming um, cost prohibitive. It's becoming too expensive and and no one's buying them, but people are still buying the music. It's just what do you think about the state of the CD right now? Well, I, I personally I feel like it's sad. I, I always really really like the medium uh, myself. Um, I'm a music collector, actually. I've, I've joined the vinyl revolution. Not joined, but I've, I've kind of re-embraced it. Uh, I've bought vinyl all along, quite honestly. Even in the 90s and, and 2000s, I would buy my favorite band stuff on vinyl if it was issued. Um, but you know, now almost everything's issued on vinyl, and I'm happy about that, uh, as long as there's a download card. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm even forgoing the CD. Unless it's, and my, my qualifier is, unless there's a reason for me that I'd rather have the CD. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that typically is if they're including more tracks or something along those lines. Right. Uh, then I'd, I, I want to have what gives me the most music at the end of the day, and typically for the best price. Yeah. Uh, um, I do like to have a hard copy. I, I, I'm sure we are seeing the end of the CD. Um, I think that companies probably are still making them to placate retail retailers and things like that. But I, I doubt that, you know, I think every year it's a lower and lower percentage of their sales are coming uh, by the compact disc. And uh, it's a little bit sad, but you know what? It's, it's never, it's never really about the physical product as much as it's about the music. Um, that said, 
I always still want to have liner notes. I always still yeah. want to have, you know, album cover. So I think as long as, um, you know, iTunes is good about uh, allowing um, digital booklets and things of that nature. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just going to, it's going to be a change in how things are consumed. And it's just like 25 years ago or however long when people stopped buying big old records and started buying compact discs. Yeah. Uh, you know, now they're, going to buy mp3s almost exclusively and some of us will still buy a hard copy in in one way shape or form but um you know i i could certainly understand someone uh you know in your business or in your position uh or even bands on the rise you know why are they going to waste their money now waste their money why are they going to spend their money on producing a physical product when they can just point to their website or even like a password protected website to a and r person and say Hey, go download these tracks. They're they're there for you to to check us out by. Yeah, and and that's really good insight. I um, with the last record I did, Pillar of the Sun, I it was a really strange experience I had. I got the the CDs in the mail from from the plant, and I did um, the first month. It was you know Kickstarter supporters, and then um, sales to the website. And I waited one month deliberately before hitting iTunes just to see what the difference in in uh, numbers and of course the the numbers are different because of the release cycle but the moment the record hit itunes the physical sales of the cds went down to zero um but the sales still came in through itunes so it's a really strange reality for for us musicians to figure out how do we print our music and how do we make it available um and you just mentioned kickstarter for the first time and 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 i think that's such a wonderful service and, and a good way for those of us who want to support arts and uh, you know musicians or whoever it might be to to contribute and maybe do a little more than just buy the product. Yeah. Um, where does that go if there's nothing physical being? I know. <laughs> so you know, it, it's I find it easy to give you a couple extra dollars to you know uh, help you know make some CDs. That I think that's great. You know. But if you're not making CDs for the next one, what what is the person Kickstarter getting? And, I, and I, then I think it gets thrown back on you yeah. as artists to kind of you know give the consumer a reason to maybe give you a couple extra bucks to help with marketing the record or whatever the case might be. Yeah, and I've I've decided in um, that I'm going to print a CD of the Echoes of Winter. Uh, beyond that, I don't know what my future in, in printing CDs is going to be. I still want to make records, but. Uh, it's just there's only so much space that <laughs> that we all have for these things, you know. And, yeah, that's and I, true. And um, gosh, but uh, well, anyway, I think um, I think that's been a good show, Kyle. Thank you for for being here. Um, where can we find you on social media? What is your preferred method of contact? I'm just a normal guy out there. Uh, my Facebook is Kyle Hanlon, and then uh, my Twitter is also Kyle Hanlon. But Twitter is more more or less only for work. I don't really. Uh, every now and then I'll throw something out there about music or whatever, but I work for uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, so most of my tweets are, are hockey-related, um, cool. trying to give fans a little bit of insight in, into the team and into the league and what, and what it is I do on a daily basis. What, what do you do for the Hurricanes? I work in media relations, uh, and I take care of all of our broadcasting contracts, and, and then in the media relations capacity, that's arranging interviews, press conferences, dealing with publications and things like that. Awesome. Well, that's that's great. And so that's Kyle Hanlon. You can find him on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, and if you're a Carolina Hurricanes fan, he's the guy that's getting you the uh, the stats and info and all that stuff. Um, 
So anyway, a couple announcements here. As you all know, the Collapsus reunion is Saturday, December 7th at Deep South in Raleigh, North Carolina. Tickets are on sale now at deepsouththebar.com. Also, there's an upcoming show Saturday, July 13th. Uh, there's a Mark Cano and Mike Garrigan Stage It show. You can get s- tickets at stageit.com. And this is an online show anyone with a computer and internet connection can watch. Uh, Flash software is required. Uh, but other than that, please uh, check us out. It's a pay-what-you-can show, and uh, we take requests, and the highest tipper gets a big prize. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything else, Kyle? Uh, absolutely not. But uh, again, just thanks for having me on. I, I can't wait to, you know, see you continue the process of this particular record and uh, whatever's next uh, for you. And also, of course, the, the collapse this show uh, coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun. It will be. And so thank you for joining us, Kyle. Uh, my name is Mike Garrigan. This is the July 2013 podcast. We'll see you later. Thanks a lot. <laughs>